Good morning, Renaissance. Come on, we can clap it up for the band again, right? That saxophone, man, I'm gonna learn how to play that saxophone. All right, good morning, good morning. Welcome, those of you who are first timers, welcome to Renaissance, we are delighted to have you. Those of you who have been with us know that this is the second week of our Bad Words series, right? Y'all know that, right? And um, these are not bad words. These are not like curse words and, you know, things that you're not supposed to go around saying. So please don't leave here telling people that Renaissance is teaching people how to curse and say a whole lot of bad words, right? The objective, um, our Bad Words series is intended to bring clarity to these words and move our faith from our heads to our hearts, to our hands. See, as a teaching team, on Sunday, we hope and pray we are communicating what God is saying to all of us. So I would challenge you to be radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus through an understanding that following Jesus is at the heart of the Christian life. Not rules, not just coming to church, um, not just Christian disciplines like praying and doing some of the other things that we know to be Christian disciplines. But the goal is to obey what Jesus has instructed us to do. And sometimes that's difficult. Yes? Raise your hand if that's difficult. Sometimes that's extremely hard to do. And I would be remiss and we would be remiss as a team if we got up here on Sunday and just gave some some chummy, watered-down, just kind of message that made you fluffy feel good every Sunday, right? And so today, um, we are going to talk about forgiveness. So we're going to talk about an F word, not that F word, right? Not faith. I know that's what y'all were thinking, not faith, but forgiveness. And I think we would say, all of us would agree that forgiveness is difficult. See, forgiveness is a bad word because forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is a bad word because we don't wake up on Sundays and go like, yo, I can't wait to get to church so we can talk about forgiveness. We don't run to small groups or to our friends and say, man, guess what I did yesterday? I went out. I got a full dose of forgiveness. That joint looks so good on me, doesn't it? We don't do that. But what I also know is that a Christ-centered understanding of forgiveness is liberating. It is life-giving. And if a person commits to working through the process of forgiveness, it can lead to life transformation. Forgiveness can lead to freedom. And some of us have been bound by the chains of unforgiveness for years. And those chains can be very, very subtle. But right here, right now, there are some of us who forgiveness has had a hold on for way too long. See, maybe a close friend has done something to you that you're like, in your opinion, you're not going to forgive. See, maybe you've experienced an offense that you feel completely okay with not forgiving. Like if you told anybody else, that you didn't forgive someone for doing that, they would agree with you. Like, yeah, that's cool. It's okay. You don't have to forgive them. They shouldn't have done that. 
See, maybe you're a married couple and you're sitting here today and you're ready to walk away because of the offenses. And you're like, you know what? I'm done. Enough is enough. Have you ever said enough is enough? Today, I ask that we open our hearts to exploring what Jesus has to teach us about forgiveness. Would we be a people who dare utter the words, not my will, Lord, but yours? Now, please hear me. I'm in no way minimizing the offenses that have happened to us. See, this is, I'm not saying that the fact that your heart is beat up and bruised at the hands of other people is just something we should gloss over. See, some of us have already experienced the unimaginable. Some of us have already, at the expense of other people, have experienced some really deep, traumatic things. And I want to be sensitive to that. Some of us have experienced verbal, physical abuse, betrayal, rape. Like, those are things that I think I'd be remiss to not talk about and say that those are some sensitive things we have to talk about or, or, or be mindful of when we talk about forgiveness. But God didn't intend for us to live like this. See, our hearts look like this. We come to church or we show up in relationships or we meet new people and our hearts are battered and bruised. We've patched up some holes with some band-aids. We've tried to hold on for as long as we could. But that was not the way it was intended to live. We were intended to live. And what also I know is that forgiveness is not just a Christian thing, right? Forgiveness is not this like supernatural Christian thing that only when you come to church a thousand times you get it, right? Like that's not true either. See, forgiveness is for everybody, right? In preparing for this message, Jordan and I uh, turned to the, to the place in the sky called Google, and we found this really cool article called Forgive to Live. And this article essentially proved, scientifically proved, that people who forgive and work through the process of forgiveness have a higher mortality rate. It's crazy. They live longer. Essentially, people live longer when they forgive. What does that prove? That proves that unforgiveness is toxic and it's destructive, not only to our lives, but to those around us. See, this is not just another Christian message. Understanding true Christ-centered forgiveness could save our lives. And if you are anything like me, we need to learn how to forgive Please join me today, and I want to be as sensitive as possible, but please join me today as we listen to hear what Jesus has to teach us about forgiveness. Let me pray for us. (sighs) Father, thank you for who you are. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what you would teach us about forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I want to look at a passage. I want to jump right in, and if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, and 
we just had that lovely reading of the scripture. Um, a quick little thing about Matthew, right? Matthew was a disciple. Uh, Matthew followed Jesus. But unlike many of the other disciples, right, uh, they were fishermen, and Matthew was a tax collector. And being a tax collector, is it, we have any basketball fans in here? Any basketball fans, maybe? A few of us? Well, I know you heard, right? Do you remember in 2007, I think it was, when LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami? Do you remember what happened to his jersey in Cleveland? Like, people burned them. People burned his jersey. People sent him hate messages. Like, people in Cleveland hated his guts. That's how people felt about tax collectors back in the day. They wanted to burn their jerseys if they could. And so to hear Matthew give this account and this story, I think it's pretty cool because Matthew's whole premise in his account of Jesus' life was to show and prove to the Jews that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, Sean. Jesus was the Messiah, and since he was a Jew and he believed it, he wanted every other Jew to know. So let's jump into the scripture. If you have your Bible, that's great. If not, uh, we're going to pull it up on the screen. I'm going to start at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? See, here, Peter, I think, and I want to stop here because Peter was being gracious in his number of seven times. What was pretty cool is that back in the day, well, I don't know if this was cool, but this was the fact, the general census was that God forgave three times and then he punished on the fourth, Tia. That's what, that's what people believed. Now, what's kind of scary about that is, man, like, I know getting to that third time, you probably were like, oh, my goodness, I got one more strike, right? But what Peter is saying is, yes, I know that's probably true, and I know Jesus, I've been with you a while. You teach some really radical stuff, man. You're a little different than everybody else, and I know that if I double that plus add one, if I say seven times, then I'm going to impress you and show you how willing I am to forgive. And he's met, Peter is met with this response. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. What? And I know some of us are like, 70 times seven, okay? Like, I just got to understand how many times you want me to forgive, Jesus. I'm going to try, but. But listen, what, what I believe is that Jesus was radically obliterating Peter and the disciples' understanding of forgiveness. It wasn't about a number. He doesn't want us to count. He's saying essentially that forgiveness should be endless. Forgiveness should flow out of your heart in a way that anytime someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness, no matter the offense, you're like, I forgive you. <laughs> and if you're like me, and I see some of the faces in here, if you're like me, I'm like, okay. And see, one of the excuses could be, well, they didn't come to me to ask for forgiveness yet, so I don't have to forgive them. Who wants that? Who's using that? Who's, right? But I think Jesus was saying, even if they don't, because earlier in this passage in chapter 18, Jesus teaches, if they offend you, go to them. Man, that's different. 
See, in Matthew 18, 15, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Who's going privately to point out offenses? If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. See, Jesus didn't want Peter or the disciples hiding behind excuses. He wanted their hearts to be fully prepared and willing and ready to forgive at all costs. But this is where I think we struggle. How can forgiveness be endless? How can we just let people do us wrong over and over and over again? See, I wonder if it would be helpful to answer why are we so resistant to forgiveness before we answer, how do we forgive? See, why are we so resistant to it? Because when we hear the word forgiveness, we have some assumptions in our heart, I think. And see, for me, this is a real message. I'm, not, I'm only giving you 100% of me. Before I got married, I was engaged to a young lady, beautiful lady, great person, beautiful family. And before we actually got engaged, she cheated on me with her friend. With, with my friend, excuse me, with my clo- one of my closest friends. We had a mutual close friend, and she cheated on me. Now, mind you, I told you this happened before we got engaged. Now, I mean, we're not married, right? So there are some consequences, right? There are some decisions you have to make. But please understand, right, this is not just another Christian message. I'm not just up here talking to talk. And it was a friend that's like a brother to me. And I could not imagine why. And so here are the assumptions in my darkest hour of wrestling through the process of forgiveness. Here's a couple of my assumptions. And this is what I had to wrestle with. One, I thought that forgiveness equaled weakness. See, in my mind, I would be some weak clown dude if I would just accept her again for cheating on me with my friend. Where I'm from, you don't do that. You don't just accept that. That's not just okay. And I'm sure that's not just where I'm from. It's not okay. And I often thought that, man, if I do so, I would be weak. I would look like a doormat. And I had to learn the art of forgiveness firsthand. See, the other assumption I wrestled with was forgiveness equals excusing. If I forgave her, then that means I was excusing what she did. I was allowing what she did to be actually turned from a negative to a positive. I really had to wrestle with that. If I, if I keep going forward, that means that she probably thinks she could do it again. That it's excusing the action. And man, I wonder if we realize That forgiveness is not synonymous with weakness. It's not synonymous with giving people a license to do wrong. But forgiveness is the key to freedom. Forgiveness is a gift that can transform you and the person you have forgiven. Forgiveness is power. It's the one thing that calls the wrong to light. Forgiveness forces people to look at their wrongs and their faults and give an account. The fact 
that we struggle with being forgiven, I think is the reason it's hard for us to give forgiveness. See, what the real struggle is, it's not the assumptions. Let's, 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 let's not believe the lie of the assumptions. The real part is that we have trouble forgiving ourselves sometimes. And so since we are bad recipients of forgiveness, how could we ever take what it's hard for us to receive and give it freely? How could we take, like, how could we fully understand forgiveness and know that we are people who are forgiven and give it away if we don't really believe that, if we don't really know that? We struggle with forgiveness because it's hard for us to receive it. See, in our minds, we think forgiven is excusing, even if it's ourself. We think forgiveness is weakness, even if it's ourself. And so we wrestle day and night with receiving forgiveness, therefore becoming bad agents of giving it. But let's look at the rest of the passage. In verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Say millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. See, I want to pause here because there's something beautiful about this passage. See, the beautiful part is we see a king bringing his accounts up to date from a servant and see millions, say millions of dollars, millions. The debt was so big, the scriptures say, that it would have taken this servant lifetimes to repay this debt. It would have taken him more than just his life and his children's life and his children's children's life. It would have taken a numerous amount of generations at this time for him to actually fulfill this debt. But there's the master, look at the master's response. The king who represents the character and nature of God, the king in his wisdom and mercy forgives the debt anyway. See, when it says he had pity, what it really means is that the king's heart went out to him. See, the king understood that he could never pay the debt. He, he knew that. He knew, even though the servant said, look, just give me some time. I'll pay it all. How many of us have said that, right? Just give me some time. I'll pay it all back. And you know in your back of your mind, no, I mean, I'm going to struggle doing that. And yet the king looks at him, his heart goes out to him, and he forgives his debt, and he sends him free. See, family, we can't miss this. See, this is, there are two fundamental ways or reasons why we forgive. One, the debt was not payable. He would need several lifetimes, and similarly, our debt to God, it would take similar lifetimes. See, we cannot pay God for our sins and our offenses. See, we don't have it in the spiritual tank 
to go before God and say, God, please just give me some time. I'll repay you for all the sins I've committed. See, our debt before God is such a chasm that there's nothing we could ever do to pay him back. Yet, just like the king, God looks at us because of the blood of Jesus and says, you are forgiven, Renaissance. God looks at us knowing that in our forgiveness, when we cry out to him, when we beg and plead and say, Daddy, I am sorry for living the life contrary to the way you want me to live. Give me some time. I'll pay it back. He says, I've already sent my son. The penalty, the price has been paid. The debt that you couldn't pay has been paid. So you've been forgiven. Please go. Live your life knowing that you've been forgiven. See, I think there's, if we look at this passage, Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 6, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our weakness he carried It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord said, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, the first thing we have to understand is the reason why we forgive is because God has forgiven us. And if that's not your motivation, if that's not your foundation, you will never get through the process. We forgive because God forgave us. And our debt was unpayable, yet he still forgave us. And see, I think there's another reason, too. See, Forgiveness is essential to Christian community. See, how could we really live authentically as brothers and sisters if you don't forgive me, Shawana? How could we say we're in true, authentic Christian community if we don't forgive one another? See, Paul teaches in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Paul says, since God chose you to be holy people, say, God chose me. God chose you to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offended you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you forgive others. See, our motivation for being in Christian community comes from understanding that the gospel is personal, but it's not individual. See, God wants us to be a different group of people, not just different individuals. And as a group of people, we point to his grace and his mercy, and the world sees us living in community, forgiving one another, making room for each other's faults, forgiving the people that offend us with endless forgiveness because of God's great endless grace and love and mercy for us. Now, look at the servant's response. 
See, if we look at the service response, once he was forgiven, we don't want to be like him. What happened when he was forgiven? He left the king's presence, and he went and he grabbed someone and basically demanded his debt to be repaid. And the scriptures say that that debt was only a few thousand dollars. So he had been forgiven millions of dollars, yet he finds someone that owes him a few thousand dollars, and he puts him in jail and makes him pay him back. And look at the plea. Don't the pleas even sound the same? The servant gave him the same plea that he gave to the king. Almost identical. Don't you think he should have heard his own voice in that and had some sort of compassion? Can we be so heartless, Renaissance? And I would say, yes, we can, and we often are. When we forget, when we lose sight of how forgiven we are before God, we think that people's offenses against us are so large and our offense against God is so small. And that's hard stuff, I know. But we often walk around thinking, man, I'm decent. I showed up at Renaissance. I gave my tithe. I sung. I even lifted my hands today, and I wasn't even planning on doing that. And we think before God, we are in this great shape outside of the blood of Jesus. And we look at other people, and when they offend us, we say, how dare you? How could you? And again, I want to be sensitive. I'm not saying that it's okay just to walk around hurting people. But I'm also saying it's not okay to live with unforgiveness. I'm also saying if we look at the end of the passage, that the servant was put into a permanent prison. And this is going to get tough. See, the servant, not because he punched the guy in the face or grabbed him by the throat, not because he didn't pray enough, not because he didn't memorize scripture or read his Bible or go on a missions trip. See, the king's response to the servant was, because you didn't forgive, I'm going to put you in prison and torture you. And see, that's hell. And I think what God says is not that he won't forgive us, but he says, when you live a life neglecting and not uh, inculcating the fact that I have forgiven you greatly, when you live a life absent and devoid of that, you run the risk, you run the risk of coming before the seat of God again and God saying, go to that prison where you will be tortured because you didn't live a life knowing that I had already forgiven you. And that's tough stuff. But the consequences of unforgiveness are real. And I would imagine there are some of us here today that have to forgive. Now, you might be sitting here, and I'm going to close with this. You might be sitting here and saying, okay, Aswan, I get it. Don't beat me up too much. Okay, forgiveness is necessary, right? Well, the question might be then, how do I forgive? How in the world am I supposed to have this endless forgiveness if people keep doing me wrong? Right, Shawana? Over and over again, like, come on, Jesus, there has to be a point. Well, remember, there wasn't a point with him. He was obedient to the point of death. But there are some practical things I think we can talk about. First, 
You refuse to hurt the person directly. Say, I refuse to hurt those who offend me. See, one of the practical things you can do is make a decision, Amber. You can make a decision and say, you know what? I'm not going to hurt the person who hurt me. I'm going to absorb the sin. Just like when Jesus was on the cross, hanging, beat, battered, and bruised, unrecognizable, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe we could utter those words in a time of despair when, some, when we need someone to forgive us and we look and we say, Father, forgive him or her, for they know not what they do. First, you refuse to hurt the person. And here are some tangible things you can do, right? One, sometimes to cover up our hurt, we get really sarcastic with people. I know I'm talking to some people in here. Sometimes we get really sarcastic with, with the person that offended us, and we, we just, yeah, I know. You, you did, didn't you? Uh-huh. I get it. I know. And if we refrain from sarcasm, man, the healing process, as we're working through the healing process, I truly believe the Holy Spirit will help us. Sometimes we get really mean and cold. Sometimes we, I know, I know this phrase rings true, especially here in Harlem. If people do me wrong, I just cut them off. I just cut them off. Like, I'm the type of person, I just cut people off. That's just how I am. Accept it. Man, if we refuse, if we resist the temptation to just cut people off and work hard at handling the internal offense and talking with them and sharing with them how they offended you and being vulnerable, being authentic, if we resist the temptation to cut people off, I think Jesus helps us in the process of forgiveness. And then this last one, right? I think this is one of the real practical things. I did this a lot. Right? And so what I would do to, to my ex-fiance, right, I would, I would big myself up in moments to make her look small. I would talk about, oh, well, I went all the way across Brooklyn to get you Red Lobster. I mean, I mean, I'm that dude. Seriously. And you, like, and you want to eat seafood. How could you? How could you want to eat seafood? Like, I tried to make everything I did bigger so everything she felt or wanted or seemed to, to, to desire was small. If we resist that temptation, I believe we are engaging in the process of forgiveness. Second, if you refuse to gossip or make them look bad in front of other people, oh, that's difficult. And you know how these sentences usually go? Look, I'm not trying to talk bad about nobody, but they did this, this, and that, and I'm just saying. When we, when we slander people, when we make them look bad in front of other people, man, that's not forgiveness. We have to resist that temptation to engage in the process of forgiveness. Third, when forgiving you refuse to continually replay the tapes of the wrong in your imagination. Man, some of us are living in that prison where we replay it over and over and over again. See, see, what I would do is I would think about 
him. I would think about her. And I tried to figure out, how did this happen? Like, how did, where was I at? Like, oh, you know what? When I went to the store that time, yo, when I went to the store, he told me he'd be right back. That, yo, that, yo, I cannot believe this. And I, in my own imagination, I'm replaying and rehashing the events. And therefore, I'm in prison. I'm stuck with unforgiveness because our minds are powerful machines. And so when we resist the temptation to replay over and over and over again the offense, we are engaging in Christ-centered forgiveness. You know why? Because when we sin against God, God, if we turn and confess our sins to him, God says, you know what? You're forgiven, and I actually forgot about it. I actually don't think about it anymore because I'm that big, I'm that dope, I'm that good of a God that if you bring all your offenses to me, I'll take them. Throw them in the sea. It's cool. Don't worry about it. But one thing God is not casual about is unforgiveness. See, he says, when you live a life of unforgiveness, you run the risk of coming before him and entering into a prison that you can't get out of. See, here's the summary. Why do we forgive? We forgive because God forgave us. We make the decision to forgive, and then we allow our feelings to catch up. We practice things in the forgiveness process, and we allow our feelings to catch up. We forgive because it can be a hindrance in our relationship with Jesus and other people. We forgive because it is the essence of the Christian life and a picture of God's grace, mercy, and loving kindness. It's what differentiates us from the world. It's those characteristics and attributes about us that draw the world to want to know Jesus. We forgive because true Christian community can't exist without it. How do we forgive? We make a decision that we won't indulge in ill will, we won't gossip, and we won't try to hurt the offender. We stop expecting payment from the person then we sit and wait for our feelings to catch up to our decisions. It's hard, I know. But the reward is so much greater. See, in our hearts, our hearts look battered and bruised. Our hearts look really battered and bruised. And I believe through the power of forgiveness, our hearts then look like flowing and powerful and and loving, and that we begin to have a life again. Those people around us want to be around us. The communities we're in, they're getting healthier because our hearts are filled with Jesus' forgiveness of us. See, we're, we're going to get ready for communion. And there will be some people standing um, at different locations uh, for our communion time. And as we are getting prepared for communion, I want to give us just a moment of silence. I'd love for there to be some music. I want us to digest what it truly means to have our debts before God forgiven. And then I want us to think about people that we need to forgive.
And so when you come to take communion, I want you to dip the offenses. And I want you to partake of God's grace and his goodness. See, I want you to deeply consider that you could be living in a prison right now. And God is saying, since I have forgiven you, Renaissance, please be willing to forgive those who have offended you. Let's no longer minimize our offense before God and maximize people's offenses of us. Let's be a people, a community who wrestle with this tough topic, who wrestle with forgiveness solely because it glorifies God. Let us be a people who wrestle with forgiveness because it improves authentic Christian community. Let us be a people who wrestle with forgiveness because it shows the world that our God is good. When you are ready, when you have taken time, I would love for you to get up, partake in communion, the bread broken for you, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. Let it remind you that Jesus' forgiveness is endless. You can bring to the communion table all that you've done, even your unforgiveness. And he will forgive you your trespasses and sins.